Without further ado, we have a special, special, very special guest, guys. (laughs) He's so special. Can you guys please stand up? This man was my youth pastor, Pastor Jake's youth pastor. Uh, He's an amazing man of God. Please welcome Pastor Daniel. Thank you. I'm excited to be here with you guys tonight. That worship was amazing. I was trying to go over my notes as they got started and just kind of like get, make sure everything's straight in my head. And then I just, like, I forget my notes. I'm just going to join because this is just really, really good. Uh, but it was lots of fun. For those who don't know me, I brought a picture. I'm married. I have the most amazing wife ever. I have four kids. Um, the oldest, Benaya, is eight. And my son, Ezekiel, is seven. Titus is four. And Esther is two. And they are loads and loads of fun. Um, this time of year, they bring joy back again. How many of you guys like Christmas? How many of you guys really liked Christmas when you were little? Yeah, like most of us are like, yeah, yeah, I like Christmas, it's great. And you guys are like, yeah, I get time off college. But when, like, when you were a kid, man, Christmas was it. And it was like the countdown was on and you get all excited. And you're like, what am I gonna get? What am I gonna get? My kids are so excited for Christmas. And it might be our fault for setting up the Christmas tree way too early. It's like, it's a family tradition. We set up our Christmas tree too early every year. Um, like normally it's October and uh, end of October up goes the tree or anytime it gets really cold, it's like, all right, let's do it. And up it goes. And then the kids are like, is it Christmas time? Like, no, it's not Christmas yet. How about now? Is it tomorrow? No. And like, you know that calendar? We got this like calendar that my wife has had since she was a little kid. It's got all these little holes in it to stick this like mouse and the mouse travels from one day to the next, and it fills the month of December. And they're like, do we move the mouse? I'm like, you could move the mouse all the way through the calendar before you can start using the calendar. Like, we, we have this long time, and there is this great anticipation, and they're longing for, like, they're just, the whole deal, the whole, all of the excitement and the presence, and my daughter, she's two, so you just give her grace, but she was, she tried to peek today at her stocking, there was something on the, over by her stocking that she was able to climb up on. So she's trying to like pull it off the mantle and get in there. She's like, oh, it's so exciting. It's like Christmas. No, you're not supposed to be in that, Esther. And so she, she got in trouble today. My wife told me about it because I was at work. But Christmas is so exciting. And, and it's exciting when you're getting and you're like, I don't know. I, I think I know what I'm going to get. Do you guys still get presents? you guys still get presents? Some of you guys? Do you know what you're getting now? Is it like mom and dad are like, oh, just pick it out, pick it out and... Uh, that works out well sometimes, but uh, anyhow, um, sometimes I think the best gifts are actually the ones that you give. I have been excited about gifts that I've received. I've received some nice gifts this year. I got a gift from my parents. Yes. I, I remembered, uh, I learned this principle from the Bible. It says, you have not because you ask not. And if I ask for nothing from my parents... I'll probably get a pair of socks. Um, so I was like, you know what? I'm going to ask for something. And so I got a new hunting coat. I'm like, yes. Okay, anyways, um, they gave it to me early and I used it. And it was wonderful because it was freezing. But I was thinking about what the most exciting, the gift that I was the most excited to give. And I got pondering and it didn't take me very long to go. It was 2008. And, and I... I was so excited. Um, I bought a ring, and it was, 
it was fairly expensive, but not overly expensive. Because my wife, my now wife, told me, she's like, I don't want an expensive ring. I want a house. <laughs> like, okay, fair enough. I don't care if you want to wear your down payment or want to live in it. Like, that doesn't matter to me. So <laughs> we, we, can, we can work this out. Um, but, but I remember and being so, so excited. We've been dating for not very long. Um, <laughs> But I'd known her for a long time, and so we dated for a whopping three weeks. Um, but but there, was, there, was, there was history. We, we knew each other well, and as uh, that is actually the day after I proposed, because when I proposed, we were on this grand adventure, and in that adventure, we lost both of our phones. They were, luckily, they were inside of a red mitten, which made them easier to find the next day. But somewhere throughout the forest during our snowshoeing adventure, we, we lost them. But, but it was great. We had this, this, I had this master plan, and then we had a blizzard that dropped a foot of snow and had to change my master plan. But I was excited. I, I was so excited. I picked the ring up on a Thursday, and I was trying to remember if it was the week before. But as I got pondering it, I think it was the day before. With only like 24 hours with the ring in my possession before the plan. Like I'd taken a day off that week to go find a spot, plan this out. My brother and I went out and we went like winter kayaking to find this spot. And this is like master elaborate plan because I'm going to do this right. I had nightmares that I got too excited and just proposed in the car. I'm like, no, you can't do that. You have a plan. Stick to the plan. And, and like I was, I was so excited and as we go on. Um, there's a picture up here uh, inside this little shack where I proposed. Um, and uh, then next picture is the outside of the little shack when we came back to find our gloves and collect the 400 blue Christmas lights that adorned the little shack in the dark that we found. Um, but it was, it was just this fun, and it was to say that I was excited, to say that I was having trouble waiting in anticipation of this is a severe understatement. But I got looking and I got thinking about Christmas and how excited we get and how easy it is to get caught up in all that's happening and to forget why. Like if I was to ask any of you guys, why do we celebrate Christmas? I think that 95% of you guys could go, here's the reason why. But knowing why and remembering why aren't the same thing. And as I begin to look at this, I begin to look at Christmas and I'm like, who looks forward to Christmas the most? And my first thought is, my four-year-old. I'm like, his sister, who's two, is now giving him competition as she has got into things, and so she's somewhat aware of some of the things that are for her, and she is very, very excited in anticipation. But they are not the most excited people about Christmas. And as much as they think it is the longest wait, because to a two-year-old, Waiting for two months for something is a massive chunk of their life, and it feels like forever. But they are not the most excited. They did not have the longest wait. I got thinking about it. I got, you know, God had the longest wait for Christmas. God was the most excited for Christmas. You see, we, we, we think of Christmas almost exclusively in the rearview mirror. And we just look back and you're like, oh yeah, this Christmas, you know, this, we're celebrating something that happened thousands of years ago. But God was looking for Chris, forward to Christmas thousands of years before it happened. See, in Genesis, we find the first man and the first woman. And when they sinned, God made a promise. And when, when they sinned, he's, he, he says, oh, you know what? 
It'll come from your descendants will come one who will crush Satan's head. He will, uh, Satan will nip at his heels, but he will crush his head. And, and he paints this picture and he paints a promise thousands of years ahead of time. And this is the first promise as God begins to lay out one promise after another of what was coming because God was excited. God began to lay out his plan. I remember I started reading in Matthew, if you've ever read through your New Testament, if you haven't, you should. It's awesome, but I have to give a confession. The first 14 verses of Matthew are boring. Um, and I say that because it's true. Um, but you read it, and let me sum up the first 14 verses for you. Somebody had a baby who 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 had a baby. And you're like, for real? Like, this just keeps going on. There's like 28 of them. Somebody who had a baby who had a baby who had a baby who had a baby who had a baby. You're like, why do I care? But there's a reason. And it's because God made a promise thousands of years ahead of time, and said, hey, Abraham, it's going to come from your descendants. And then he said, you know, a little bit further down, hey, he told Isaac, he told Jacob, hey, it's going to come from your descendants. It's going to come from your descendants. And then way down the line, he goes, hey, David, it's going to come from one of your descendants. And God begins to make these promises. In fact, when you read the first two chapters in Matthew, I started jotting down how many times it says that he fulfilled a prophecy and started writing down the prophecies that I saw. And in the first two chapters, I wrote down 10. That was not a complete list. That was just a list that I quickly made as I ran through this. And I got looking at these prophecies and I'm like, okay, how hard is it to fulfill a prophecy? And well, that question kind of bounces back and goes, depends what they prophesy. If they prophesy and they're like, someone will be in here who's a boy. Half of you guys have now checked it off. Like, this is a pretty easy prophecy to fulfill. Some of the prophecies, not so much. When he's like, hey, they're going to be born of a virgin. You're like, yeah, that's kind of a one-time deal. Um, that's an incredibly hard prophecy to fulfill. But uh, Peter Stoner was a, um, what did they call him? Uh, he got really into the laws of probability. And so he gets into studying and going, okay, what is the probability of someone fulfilling these prophecies? And so he took and he studied out eight different prophecies. And I'm not sure which of the eight that he studied out, but he went through and he's like, okay, the odds of someone fulfilling this, can you put up that first uh, set of numbers there? So not Micah 5.2, but the first set of numbers. They are trying to find it. This is a number that you're probably not very familiar with. Um, for those of you who are going, what is that? that? I had to do that too. I looked at this and I'm like, okay, I am familiar with numbers up to the trillions. Once you get past 999 and so on trillion, I was like, what comes after that? Google, what comes after the trillions? It's like quadrillion. Okay, okay. So he's like, it is one in 100 quadrillion that someone would fulfill these eight prophecies. Now that number is so ludicrous that I had trouble wrapping my mind around it. I'm like, I don't know what it's called. I don't know what it is. I don't know what, I don't, what there's 100 quadrillion what? And so he actually went a little f uh, further and he said, here, let me help you out. 
He said, if you were to take a silver dollar, I said, silver dollar, take a hundred quadrillion silver dollars, it would cover the state of Texas two feet deep. He goes, if you then put a red X on one silver dollar and hit it anywhere in the state of Texas, then went and found somebody who's blind and said, I want you to travel into Texas, whatever way into Texas, however far into Texas you would like to go, reach in from the top, dig down to the bottom, whatever you want to do, but you get to pick up one silver dollar. The odds of them picking up the right one is the odds that one man would fulfill these eight prophecies. Now, I'm like, okay, that's pretty ridiculous. But then he goes on. He goes, so he ran, instead of just running the eight, he goes, well, what if he ran 48 of the prophecies? You go, what's the odds of someone fulfilling 48 of these prophecies? Now, I tell you the number, but there's not a name for this number. Can you put up the next one? Um, That's 10 to the 157th power. Um, They're like, this is the odds that one person would fulfill 48 of these prophecies. But do you know how many prophecies there are of Jesus, his foretelling? Um, Depending on which list you look at, uh, this one says there's 365. I think this one listed 324. Um, he stopped after the, running the probability on 48 because it is so incredibly ludicrous. And I started looking at these, and because some of these are really difficult, some of these are really clear. Like Isaiah 7, 14, he says, all right, then the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will, um, and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. He goes, a virgin's going to have a baby and he's going to be God with us. That's pretty clear. And that's pretty straightforward. But I was, I was looking and, and it goes on. Um, there's some of the prophecies I looked at and I'm like, okay, to me, some of them aren't really clear. One of the ones that I thought wasn't very clear talks about a star that's going to appear. In your story, as you're reading in Matthew, this, what I would call obscure or unclear prophecy, was sufficient that the wise men saw the star. Anyone ever heard of the wise men? Okay, the wise men, the magi, okay. They see this star and they come from afar. And I I hear this growing up and you're like, cool, cool, they come from afar. How far did they come? And I I got studying it this week. I'm like, how far did they come? Well, these wise guys, they show up in Jerusalem and they go to Herod and they go, hey, we've seen his star. Where is, where is the promised one? And he looks at them and this is, this is what's crazy. This guy who doesn't believe in God, who does not believe in the Messiah, he goes and he calls for the chief priest and he goes, where will he be born? And they didn't look at you and go, how are we supposed to know? He's a baby. We haven't seen any headlines. Like it wasn't, no, they look and they go, oh, let me look it up. Let me look up the prophecy. 
and they look up Micah chapter 5, verse 2, and it says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come for me one who is, who is to be ruler in Israel, who is coming forth from of old, from ancient of days. They look at this prophecy, and to them, this prophecy is so clear that they just turn around and go, the baby that you're looking for is going to be born in Bethlehem. So I'm like, okay, so this prophecy to them is so clear that they're confident they can tell them what city they're going to. But what amazed me further is that these wise men saw the star off of a prophecy. They were so confident that they traveled. They go from there. They go, they find baby Jesus. They worship. They give their gifts. After they give their gifts to Jesus, they're warned not to go back to Herod because he did not want to worship Jesus. He wanted them to tell him where he was so that he could kill him because he wanted to be king forever and didn't want anyone to challenge his throne or his lineage. So they get warned. They go back a different way. Now, when they go back a different way, Herod figures out that he just got ghosted. They're like, they, they just left. They didn't say anything. I'm ticked. All right. His response was to go, fine, if they won't tell me who the baby is, I'm going to, and it says, according to the time that he learned from them, he goes, I'm going to kill every baby two years old and under. Now, this is what that means. That I don't know how long it took him to figure out that he got ghosted. Like, from Jerusalem to Bethlehem is about 10 kilometers. So, this is not far. And so, yeah, so this is just six and a half miles. I don't know what part of Bethlehem they were in. And so, but you can run that in just over an hour. So when did he figure out he was ghosted? Was it like when they didn't come back in three days, a week, a month? I don't know. We're going to get, say it took him a really long time. He gave them lots of grace. Let's just say he took a month. He says that he's going to kill every baby two years old and younger. He is obviously overly aggressive and has serious issues. So let's just say he doubled the amount of time since the, the wise men told them the star appeared. That means that they were traveling for a year. Could you imagine how confident you have to be to set out on a one-year journey to see a baby? Like, they were fairly confident. I started looking stuff up, and they said they probably traveled without a car, without a plane, at least 600 miles. They said they may have very well have come from Babylon, where the Israelites had been in bondage years before, where Daniel had been a wise man and may have passed this down onto some of the wise men that were there. In fact, they may have even been of Jewish descent from them, or even when they were in captivity in Persia, which would have been another 200 miles. But it looks like they traveled for at least a year to come see him because they were so confident in the prophecy. And I, and I begin to look, and there's there's all these different prophecies. In Psalms 22, it says, My life is poured out like water, and all of my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax melting within me. It goes on, it says, My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs, and evil gang closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and feet, and can count all my bones. My enemies stare at me and gloat. They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. In Isaiah 53, it says that he'd be whipped, 
It says that he would bear the sins of all mankind, that he'd be silent before his accusers, that he'd be our sacrificial lamb, that he would be confined and persecuted, that he'd be judged, that he'd be killed, that he'd die for the sins of the world, that he'd be buried in a rich man's tomb, that he'd be innocent and have done no violence. And it goes in Psalm 16:10, it says this, you will not leave me in the place of the dead. He says, you will you always show me the path of life. You will fill me with joy when I am with you. You can't say that God didn't see it coming. You can't say that this was a surprise. And I, I begin to look at this and it just kind of, oh, it, it messed with my head because a lot of times I picture Jesus having to come and die like a Hail Mary pass. It's like, crud, we're behind, that's all right. I got a really good arm. Let's get that guy way out there. And like, we're going to like make this far catch and like come back for the win. Like this like stretch crazy thing. But he said this was going to happen thousands of years before it happened. And he began to spell it out. And to top it off, he was excited. Okay, when, when I, I think about being excited and not being able to contain it, Okay, so I told you earlier, I picked up that ring on a Thursday. I was excited. And I'm trying not to let on that I have a ring. I am trying to surprise her, but I have to tell somebody. Like, I have to tell somebody. And Thursday night is access. You guys know it. You're here. And so I came into access, and I am just, like, so excited. I'm like, I walk into the room. I'm looking, I'm looking. I'm like, Josh! And he's like, what? I'm like, oh. I'm like Josh, come here. you got to see something. He's like, what do I got to see? What? Just come here. <laughs> What's going on? And so he's following me, and I come around. So I have an office, and so I, I come around the corner. I literally was running on the wall. Like, I came around the, the corner and just like, boom, 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 boom. And he's looking at me. He's like, what is going on? He's like, you don't do drugs. Like, what is happening? And I'm like, you got to see this. And he's like, what? And he's, all, and he's like freaking out because he, he may have known that we'd been dating for like almost three weeks. And so, um, but, but. I was so excited I had to tell somebody and I'm looking for just somebody here that I could tell and that helped satisfy my need to tell somebody for the next 24 hours before I could actually propose. God was so excited when Jesus came that heaven could not contain his excitement. See, we look and it wasn't just like, hey, angel, guess what, Gabe? I just sent Jesus. Like, sorry, I, I, I get excited, but it wasn't just like, hey, just Gabriel, I, hey, Michael, did you see what I just did? Did you see that Jesus was born? It got, he was so excited that there are shepherds out in a field doing what shepherds in a field do. They're like standing there, they're watching. They're like, look, that one just pooped. Yep, yeah, that one's eating. Oh, hey, you, back to the rest. Like, they're just like hanging out and it's boring. And all of a sudden, an angel shows up. Now, this would be scary. You're out there and you're just like watching things. It's getting dark and like you're watching sheep. And all of a sudden, there's like a big floating guy. He's like, he's like hey! He's like, ah! and he's like, don't be afraid. You're like, you're scary! And he's like, don't be I have good news. You're sure it's good news? Like, they're, they're, they're freaking out and they have this this discord course. And he's discussing, and he's like, yes. And he tells them that Jesus has been born and he tells them this. And they're like, this is crazy. And like, this is crazy enough. You have this angel that shows up in this. And, and, and they're like trying to like wrap their minds around this. They're like, are you seeing this? Did we eat some funny plants? Like what's going on? They're, they're trying to figure it out. And then in it goes from one angel to being a choir of angels. Those that were singing couldn't keep the party in heaven. It's now just filled up the field and they're watching a choir of angels. Could you imagine? You're out there, you're like, Bob, holy, ha, ah, whoa, whoa. Like, 
like this is the most amazing, like I, I, I just, they say when someone sings really good, they sound like an angel. Like what would it sound like to literally be there surrounded by angels singing? Like this is the best news. It couldn't be kept inside of heaven because God is so excited. And then they heard it. They, they then were like with overjoyed, went to see what they had just been told about and went and saw baby Jesus. But I look at this and I'm like, okay, so you're telling me that Jesus came to earth and God was so excited that heaven could not contain his excitement or his party. But that's weird. This is why it's weird. It is normal to be excited about fun things. We're, I have next week, I have most of next week off. I'm taking my kids to Great Wolf Lodge and they are excited. And every day they ask how many more days till we go to the Great Wolf Lodge. And it is okay, it is a fun and exciting thing. But Jesus knew why he was coming. See, Christmas was never the point. See, because Christmas, the purpose for Christmas was Easter, and the reason for Easter is you. See, Jesus, when he was walking, he states over and over again that he knew what he was here for. In Matthew 26, verse 2, he goes, you know that after two days of um, the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. That's that's pretty clear. Hey guys, they're going to kill me. They're going to, they're going to hang me on a, on a, they're going to crucify me. In Matthew 26, 12, he goes on, he says, this lady pours ointment on him and they're all like, what's she doing? And he goes, oh, she's done this to prepare me for burial. Like this is not, oh, I wonder what's going to happen. He says in Matthew 26, 21, one of you is going to betray me. In verse 31, He's like, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you into Galilee. There isn't a, oh, well, maybe. I don't know what's going to happen. Like this is straight up clear. In Mark 9, 31, he says, for he was teaching his disciples saying, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he is killed, uh, after three days, he will rise. This was so far outside of their thinking, they kept hearing it, but couldn't even handle it. They could not process it. And they just were like, I wonder what he means by they're gonna kill him. What is crucifying? Like, we know what real crucifixion is, but what are they gonna do to Jesus? Like, they could not wrap their minds around it. So much so that when Jesus dies, the Pharisees who don't believe in Jesus have heard this enough that they're like, we're going to have to guard the body so they don't take, pretend to take him and say he rose. Like they all heard it, but his actual disciples are like, that couldn't happen. But Jesus was so clear. I'm like, okay, what does it look like living to die? Heck, how many of you guys have ever rode a roller coaster? A big one. How many of you guys' stomach started dancing before you got on the roller coaster? Yes, like this is like scientifically weird in my opinion because when you're on a roller coaster, it makes sense that your stomach, like it doesn't make the drop with you and it tries to come up and that's a weird feeling. Uh, that's why we do it. Um, but why does it do it when you haven't left the ground? Like you're standing there in line and maybe this is just me and if it is, 
You can just laugh at me later. But like you're waiting in line and you're fine. You get there and they've got the stupid long wait that you wait again. You drive for hours to wait and hours in line. And then you're getting close. I get close. And then you're like, all of a sudden you're like, I'm I, I starting to have to pee. Why do I have to pee? Do I really have to pee? Or is it just nerves? You're like, I really don't want to pee on the ride. I, I think I, you're, you're, like, you're like evaluating. You're like, I'm not getting out of line. I've been in line for two hours. I can hold it. And then your stomach as you get like really close. It's like, bloop, 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 bloop. You're like, what? <laughs> like, this is a game. And it's like trying to crawl up. You're like, I haven't even gone up the thing. And then like I get on it and it like you go up and it's like click, 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 click. Unless it's the Millennium Force, in which case it's just a nice smooth up it goes. And you're like looking around, you're like, I'm getting higher, I'm getting higher. And your stomach goes up. For me, the anticipation like, is intense. The actual ride's just fun. But the anticipation yes. is intense. What is the anticipation of being ripped apart and going to a cross look like? Because he was very clear that he knew what he was getting into, that he knew why he was here. And Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, gives us a very, very important look at this. It says this, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. What was the joy set before him? You. You were the joy. The reason that he was going to the cross was for you. In fact, um, 1 Peter Chapter 1, verse 19 says, He paid for you with the precious lifeblood of Christ, the sinless, spotless name of God. He, God chose him for this purpose long before the world began, but now in these final days, he was sent to earth for all to see, and he did this for you. So I, I, I got all of this, and I started to think, I'm like, you're telling me that Jesus, that God knew that he was coming to be whipped, to be beaten, to be mocked, to be betrayed, to be crucified, and he threw a party? Why on earth do you throw a party to die? There's only one way that that makes sense. You're more excited about what you're getting than what you're giving up. And he said that the thing that he was excited to be getting was you. He goes, I know what I'm doing and it's worth it because I love you. Because I choose you. No price is too high to have a relationship with you. Because there's no way that you can pay for it. I'll pay for it and I'll set it straight and I'll throw a party because I love you and because you're worth it. And he says that he values you and that he loves you. The prophecies were so that you wouldn't miss it. He says it in John 13, 19. He says to him, he goes, I tell you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I say that I am. 
And he sits here and he goes, I choose you, and I believe that you're worth it, and I want you to recognize me. I want you to know who I am. I want you to know why I came, and I want you to know that I love you. I saw you in your mess. I saw you in all your mistakes. I saw all of your sin, and I still chose you. I chose you, and I chose to pay the price for the sins that you could never pay because I love you. I'm here on purpose, and he looks forward to it. It says, before the world began, and that blows my mind. That's the love to celebrate. And I look, and it, and it blows my mind, but there's this principle. You have this God that loves you, who, has, who pays the highest price for a gift for you. Do you guys, this time of year, you, you're familiar with gifts? You're familiar with people buying gifts. Sometimes they're cheap, sometimes they're expensive. But do you, I'm sure you realize that no matter how amazing of a gift I buy, I wrap it, I put it under the tree. If it doesn't get opened, it doesn't matter. If you don't receive the gift, all it does is decorate the corner of the room. See, because this was the first part. He paid the price because he loves you, because he said, you're worth it. He threw a party over the world's greatest sacrifice because he said, what I'm getting is worth it to me. And then he says, here. He says, I stand at the door and I knock and I offer you a relationship with me. I offer you forgiveness. I offer you a chance to walk hand in hand in fellowship with the Lord God Almighty. Because if you, but have you opened it? Have you received it? Because some of you guys have said, you know what, no, I, I haven't. I may know a lot about it. I may know what my present is, but I've never opened it. Others say, you know what, no, I, I've opened the box, but I'm not walking with God. He paid this high price so that he could have a relationship with me. I don't have a relationship with God. I have a knowledge of him. He wants a relationship. He wants to be close to you. If you've never received that gift, you say, you know what, no, I've, I know a lot about God. I may have said something, some prayer when I was in elementary, but I, I I'm not living for God. I want to receive that gift. I want to be right with God. Then as we head into this Christmas season, we remember what it's all about. I want to give you an opportunity to receive the gift that he celebrated paying the highest price to give you. Can you guys bow your heads and close your eyes? If you're here and say, today, I want to receive that gift. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want to know that I'm right with God and on my way to heaven. I want to start that relationship that he paid for. Now, I'm going to count to three, and I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. One, get ready. Two, three. Go ahead and raise up your hand. So that's me. Awesome. I see your hand. Who else says, that's me? I want, to, I want to know that Jesus is my Lord. I want to know that I'm forgiven and I'm right with God. Awesome. I see that hand as well. Who else says, that's me? Awesome. Awesome. I see that hand. All right. You can put your hands down. 
Much like when I proposed to my wife, I said, hey, will you, will you be in relationship with me? Her response was not the end of a journey, but the beginning when she said yes. Jesus says, whoever calls in his name will be saved. It's not the end of the journey, it's the beginning. But we're going to do what he said. We're going to call in his name. So whether you raised your hand or you've done that before, go ahead and join us as we declare him to be Lord and we call on him. Say, God, thank you for loving me even when I make mistakes. I'm sorry for the wrong things I've done. I believe that you died and rose again. Thank you for washing my sins away. I want to live for you every day. I declare that you are my Lord from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen.